The Medallion, Chapter 40 Kate stormed out of Tyr's bedroom with the veil twisted across her face. She was too angry with Corvin to remain in the chamber and make any attempt to contact Jorid. What was the point? All guys were the same. She was done with this place and just wanted to go home. Mara waited on the landing, but as Kate marched toward her, she turned around and disappeared through a doorway. Grabbing the handrail, Kate stomped down the stairs, her untied shoelaces slapping against the marble floor. She had gone out of her way to help Corbin, even when the others had told her not to, but he obviously didn't want her help. He was in love with Tirith, and also chasing after Atia, and that was just fine with her. She didn't need to get his attention, or any other guy for that matter. She still thought Morgan was nice, but lately it felt like he was mostly using her to get together with Tirith. Jorid was trouble, and besides, he was after Tirith too. She threw open the front door with a bang. Strangely enough, the only person she believed she could trust was Tirith herself. The guard at the front gate saw her and leapt up to open the door into the plaza. Kate stalked out on the cobblestones and turned up toward the statue. Since the captain of the palace guard was so sure that Tira's father would know what to do, she would give the priest the glowing medallion in return for helping her find the way back home. The plaza was deserted, and Kate slowed down as she made her way up the successive flights of stairs that led to the curved wall beneath the great stone figure. Now that it was being dismantled and the head was gone, it wasn't frightening or impressive anymore, just another ridiculous part of this ludicrous underground world. Approaching the gate set into the center of the curved wall, she climbed a short stair and stepped inside. The view at her feet reminded her of the time she had gone to a baseball game with her father. The seats curved around to both sides, but instead of an infield, a pool of water lay between the large boots of the statue. A narrow pier stuck out over the water from the audience side, and broken slabs of stone hung from metal rods on the statue's side. Kate stepped down the short flights of stairs to the walkway that followed the curve of the pool toward the statue's right boot where the door under the toe had been broken open. It was dark inside, and Kate had to feel her way along the passage. Stumbling on a stair, she carefully followed its curve up to a pale slit of light. The captain of the guard had said something about a narrow crack in the wall that would lead down to an underground pool. She crept over and peered through, but the vertical line of light was only a gap between a set of thick black curtains that faced out high over the amphitheater. One more step and she would have fallen into the water below. A white shape undulated through the pool, trailing a mass of long tentacles, then disappeared into the shadows beneath her feet. That must lead to where she should be going, as the captain had told her to stay away from the water and the creature's long arms. The crack in the wall he spoke of had to be on the other side of the tunnel. The high priest will be happy to meet you and hear your report. Mara's voice seemed to come from everywhere at once, as a pot-bellied man in a dirty tunic stepped up into the amphitheater entry. He stopped at the top of the stairs and slicked back his thin, greasy hair. Mara's diminutive form stepped in front of him. Down there, she said, the door under the statue's boot. I won't believe it until I see the high priest with my own eyes. Mara walked down the stairs ahead of him. He will be most grateful to hear your news. You are wise to come and find me. The man puffed out his round cheeks and nodded importantly. I told myself that you needed to know this since you were so close to her. And of all the people, you must realize just how valuable this information is. When he stressed the word, Mara's face clouded over. I am certain he will make sure you are rewarded well, she said, fixing her face into a smile and glancing back at the man. The pair entered the door below, and Kate heard the man grunting up the flight of steps. Don't you have a light? His voice echoed in the passage. We are almost there, my friend. You just need to squeeze yourself through this crack. Then you will wait at the bottom of the stairs until I call you. There were more grunts and then the muffled sound of footsteps fading away. 
Kate felt her way along the outer wall until a barely discernible yellow glow appeared. She crossed over and peered through a crack in the wall. A narrow stairway led to a landing illuminated from below. Squeezing through, Kate crept down to the landing. The man was sitting at the bottom of the stairs in front of a pool covered with patches of glowing yellow slime. A light fell across the side of his face and Mara called to him from off to the left. The man heaved himself to his feet and ambled out of sight, smoothing his tunic over his belly. Kate tiptoed down the stairs, moved in behind one of the tall pillars and peeked around it. The shaft of light came from inside a passage cut into the cavern wall. Mara was holding a torch just inside and the large man sat on a rock in front of the entrance. The light blossomed to fill the main cavern as Mara emerged. Behind her walked a bearded man in a robe. Mara stepped to one side and the bearded man moved past her. The heavy-set man pushed himself to his feet and bowed as low as his belly would allow. High priest, I am honored to be here. I am so happy you survived the water. May the gods be praised. The high priest nodded and motioned for the man to sit back down. Mara tells me you have news of my daughter. Yes, sir, the man straightened up. I am the head of the crypt keepers, and I spend all my time in the city of the dead looking after the tombs. I supervise the builders to make sure things are done right, and I have been working now for over. The bearded man held up his hand, and the crypt keeper settled back onto the rock. And that is where you saw Tirith? Yes, last night, in the place where the Rosen rebels have been meeting in the old tombs. How do they get inside the city walls? I don't know. They come at night when I'm asleep in my workshop. I usually sleep very soundly, but a while ago I woke up to loud explosions and lights and rebels running everywhere, and I had to hide. That was just before the chief watcher died, and, yes, I remember, the high priest cut him off. Tell me about last night. Another very odd night, the large man said. Another explosion, but this time in the crags, and then a huge cloud of dust rolled in. I was concerned about the royal tombs, so I went to check things out, and that's when I saw them. The rebels, the priest asked. The pudgy hands gestured grandly. They were coming through the plaza by the royal tombs, all quiet-like in single file. I followed along, and sure enough, they went into the open space I told you about. Some of those older crypts are pretty busted up, so I used my key to go inside one where I could spy on their meeting place, and that's when I saw Tirith. He paused. I couldn't do anything to help her, but I stayed there, even though I was in great danger. I had to know what they would do to her so I could report to the palace. Go on. I waited. And then I saw him come in with her. Who? Their leader. And it was true what they say. He had a rantle perched on his head. Haven't seen one of those since I was young. You know they say in Roseanne, you said he came in with her. Are you referring to my daughter? Yes, it was Tirith. But then she started acting funny like she was drugged. That's when their leader left with the soldiers and went away for a bit. As soon as he was gone, Tirith began putting up a grand fuss, telling the soldiers to put up a tent for her on the far side of the clearing, and then things got very strange. The crypt keeper paused to wipe a sleeve over his brow, then looked up at the high priest. Go on, the high priest said. I was scared, but I knew I needed to keep a close eye on her so I could report things to the palace. It was my duty, you know. So I kept watching the tent, and not one person goes inside. But then a short rebel soldier comes out and walks right past me, so close I could have touched her if the wall wasn't so thick. Her? Yes, sir. It was a girl, and not a rebel soldier at all. At first I thought it was Tirith, all dressed up in soldier's clothes because she had the same scar on her cheek. So when she passed by, I said to myself, I've got to help her escape. But then the real Tirith came out of the tent and shouted an order to one of the guards, so I knew the other girl was someone else. 
and I decided to stay put to see what would happen to the real Tirith to do my duty by her, you know. And, the priest said, the cryptkeeper cleared his throat. Well, I waited, but then I must have dozed off. I'd been working very hard, and it was a very long night. Mara thrust her torch at the man. Just tell him what you saw. The high priest touched the woman's hand and pushed her light to one side. Give him time, Mara. He smiled at the man cowering on the stone. If there is more information, I will make sure you receive time off to enjoy your reward. The cryptkeeper licked his lips and stood to move farther away from Mara and the light. Thank you, sir. I knew you would be generous. What happened next? the high priest asked. A loud cheer woke me up because the rebel leader returned and they were getting things set up for some sort of event. Tirith came out of her tent wearing a white dress. The men started singing, then she went back inside, and then all of a sudden the tent burst into flames and Tirith was screaming from inside. Rebels were running around and the next thing I knew the palace guards were in the clearing and people were fighting everywhere. The captain of the guard appeared and ran over to the flaming tent to try to get inside, but then the rebel leader goes there too. The man's arms weighed madly in the air. They had swords drawn, and the captain was winning, but then, well, it was real. Yes, sir, that rantle on the leader's head, it was real, and it flew at the captain and stuck its poison barb in him, and then he drops his sword, and the rebel leader ran him through, and our brave captain dies on the spot. And that leader of the rebels just steps right over his body, into the fire, and comes out carrying Tirith over his shoulder. Alive? the high priest asked. The cryptkeeper nodded. Very much so. She was struggling and shouting for help as he left the clearing, but no one could help her because the palace guards were already dead, trying to get over to the captain, brave lads. I don't think any escaped. The high priest turned to Mara. We will need to find out if any of the guards returned and check their stories. The man opened his hands. I'm telling the truth. I would not lie to you. The high priest put his arm around the man's shoulder and turned him toward the stairs. I believe you, but I must know if there are others who followed the leader to see where he took her. The cryptkeeper pointed to his chest. I can tell you where she is. Three older men from the rebels came up by the wall where I was hiding. One said they were pulling back to the crags to regroup and taking Tirith with them. Another said that if their leader was smart, he would ransom her for some food because everyone is starving in Roseanne. And the third one talked about how their leader was not that wise and would just throw her in jail until he could find that ridiculous crown of his so he could have a counterpart and become the Corvan. They all agreed that they would not be coming back to Kadir until he was good and ready. The man stopped and gave a single nod to punctuate the validity of his story. This is important news, the high priest said as he led the man toward the stairs. Is there anything else I need to know? That's all I saw. I hid in the crypt until it was certain it was safe to come here and report this valuable information. And have you told anyone else your news? The man shook his head until his double chin shook. No, sir. I came here directly to report only to the palace. The high priest nodded. They drew near the two rocks with Mara bringing up the rear, forcing Kate to stay in close and circle around and hide in the shadow of the boulder. Her shoelace snagged and she stumbled, scraping her hands on the rock as she reached out, barely managing to keep herself from falling out in plain view behind Mara. It's quite a climb back up to the palace, the high priest said in a soothing tone. Sit here a moment and rest yourself before Mara takes you to the palace where you can have your choice of food from the royal kitchen. Bless you, sir, the man wheezed as he sat down. I have always believed you were a fair man. I'm so glad to see you are alive. The high priest nodded. A deep silence settled into the cavern, broken only by the caretaker's raspy breasts. The high priest stooped down, picked up three pebbles, and tossed them into the water. Plop, plop plop. 
He did it again, and Mara backed away from the water, holding her torch higher. The high priest was just bending down for more pebbles when a tower of bubbles broke the surface of the water as a white shape pushed up through the slime, a huge eye in the center of its mottled surface. The eye focused on the high priest, who casually gestured over his shoulder at the cryptkeeper. The man squeaked and flopped over onto his belly, scrambling and crawling up the stairs. Two long tentacles shot out and wrapped securely around his ankles. The man tried to hold on as the tentacles tightened and lifted his feet into the air. His cries of terror filled the cavern as he was bounced down the stairs and dragged feet first into the water. The high priest turned to the white creature and clicked his tongue. The beak chirped in pleasure and hoisted the cryptkeeper overhead. The man gurgled and cried out, but a thin white tongue unfurled from the creature's mouth and wrapped itself around the man's face, cutting off his cries. The tongue sipped back, and the tentacles lifted the man high in the air. His body smacked into the cavern ceiling and then fell like a limp sack into the water. The white creature slipped below the surface and small waves washed around the man's body as it began to sink. A single white tentacle wrapped around his chest and he disappeared with yellow ripples fanning out from where he had been. Mara walked back to the high priest. You certainly have a dramatic flair, she struck her torch into the rocks near the stairs. I only meant for you to push him into the water and let your pet do the rest. He turned to her. But that's what you love about me, isn't it? Mara laughed. She took his face in her hands and kissed him passionately. It certainly is. The high priest took her by the hand and led her to the stairs. He sat down and she settled on his lap, putting her arm around his shoulder as they gazed out over the water. The volusk will certainly have plenty to eat for quite a while, the high priest said calmly. Mara cackled. He was a fat one. I wondered if he would even fit through the crack at the top of the stairs. The high priest looked over his shoulder. I will be glad to go up those stairs and back to the palace where I belong. But first I need to find out who Tears Double is and what she knows about this whole affair. I can help you with that, my dear, Mara said, patting his bearded cheek. That look-alike came to the palace, pretending to be Tirith. She even had me fooled until I spied on her inside her bedroom. The high priest frowned. Why would she do that unless Tirith sent her? Mara smiled slyly at him. I believe Tirith did send her, for this girl carries a medallion, and not just any medallion, she has the chamber master. The high priest stood so fast that Mara toppled off his lap to the ground. Are you certain? Did you see the glow? Yes, Mara said, getting to her feet and dusting herself off. When she took it off, I could see its light spinning around in her room. I was going to grab it when she went to wash, but the captain arrived and caught me at the door. He went inside, and I listened at the door, but the voices were too low. When he came out, he told me to leave Tirith alone, and a bit later that girl came out in an angry fit. I went inside and searched her bedroom, but the medallion was gone. She had taken it with her. Why would she be angry with the captain? Didn't he know she wasn't Tirith? He must have. Why else would he go to the crypts to save the real Tirith? The high priest stroked his beard. This whole affair is strange. My daughter goes out to the city by herself at night, is captured by the rebels, but manages to disguise a new girl, who obviously isn't from Kadir, to carry the master medallion back to the palace. But the look-alike does not bring it to me. Instead, she goes out into the plaza and... He smacked a fist into his open hand. Torig. That's what's missing here. My former counterpart has finally contacted our daughter and turned her against me. No wonder Tirith has been acting so strange of late. I agree that since Terran died, she has looked at me with more disdain than ever before, like it was my fault, Mara said. Being turned by your former counterpart would certainly explain it. I thought this might happen at some point in time, 
but I hoped I could talk my daughter into giving it to me. Giving it to you? Yes. Torig was the only person I knew for certain who still had a medallion, but I never thought she had the chamber master. She must have given it to Tirith, who was captured and decided to send the medallion back to the palace with the disguised girl. The old man grimaced. We should have eliminated Torig long ago. She is ruining everything by showing up now to fill Tirith's head with her stories. I thought you said you would make sure she would never come close to Tirith again. I'm doing my best, Mara said bitterly. I also want her dead. I cannot be her counterpart until she's eliminated. But with her connection to the Sisterhood and the other cities, it's been hard to find her. The traitor Garrick is now on her side as well. The high priest paced along the shoreline. What I don't understand is that if Tira sent the girl back to the palace to keep the medallion safe, who was she taking it to? That certainly wasn't me, or she would have come directly here. Then it must have been Jorid, Mara said. Those two have been close ever since his family disappeared, and she has been more interested in him since Morgan died. From the pill you created, the high priest said, you wanted a quick solution to get your hands on that boy, and I gave you one. Next time let me come up with my own plan, Mara replied. The high priest ignored her and kept pacing, the small waves from the creature's exit washing over the toes of his shoes. It has to be Jorid, but we can't let that medallion fall into his hands. It would destroy all my plans. He turned toward the stairs. Mara grabbed his cloak as he passed by her. Jorad is not in the city. My sources say he is out by the passage to Roseanne. That means this new girl will be forced to wait for his return. I will find her and bring her to you. You can't go out looking like that. You need to be in your finest robe and your beard needs a trim. We need to find the right occasion for you to make your return before the people, and I have an idea about that. The high priest sank down on the steps. You're right. I need to think this through carefully. Mara looked down at him. I have spoken with my informer in the Roseanne camp, and I know that the leader of the Roseanne rebels is only trying to marry Tirith to fulfill his ideals about being the great Corvan. He doesn't really care who she is or her connection to you. Likely he's not even aware of it. His delusions run so deep. He has no concept about the true power of the medallions, but Jorad does, and we know Jorad would do anything to win Tirith's hand and make his own plan to secure control of Kadir. Yes, that is why I've been urging Tirith to accept the captain. Now that he's dead, she might just accept Jorad's offer. Mara looked so intently toward Kate that for a moment she was certain Mara had seen her. A thin smile creased her lips. I think we can crush both their plans and keep us in control of Kadir. How? We will follow through with our plans for your miraculous return. Everyone knows the karst has been off limits while the statue is being dismantled. But I have dropped some hints that Tirith has been coming here every day, perhaps to mourn her father, but maybe to visit someone. I have seeded the idea that someone here is ill and she is tending to them, which is why she takes food from the palace kitchen along. Some of the gossip is that the boy who ran to her when they fell into the water is still here. I know all this, Mara. We are paving the way for my return at the right moment in time. Mara sat down beside him. This is the right time. I will bring that girl here with her medallion. You convince her to give it to you so you can save Tirith from the prison in Roseanne. Once we have the medallion, then she will die by my blade, but we will not feed her to the Volusk. This new girl looks like Tirith, and under a funeral shroud, not even you could tell them apart. So instead, we will hold a funeral for Tirith, and you come back as the grieving father whose loving daughter nursed him back from the edge of death. And what about Tirith? What if the rebel leader lets her go when she comes back from the dead? 
I know him well. He won't do that. He is waiting for that foolish tiara to show up. He will let her die in the Roseanne prison until he gets what he wants. You cannot reason with that man. The high priest frowned and Mara put her arm around his shoulder. As I have warned you in the past, once the Torig gets a hold of Tirith, your daughter will align herself with her and with Atiyah and the rest of the sisters. Tirith is now dead to you, and it's time to move on. It's time to finally take your place as the ruler of Kadir. He stood to his feet and looked up the stairs. I am tired of all these games, and with the Master Medallion in my hand, I can force Kale's grandfather out of the chamber and take over not only Kadir, but all seven cities. I can rebuild the core to its former glory. His voice echoed in triumph. Mara stepped past him and faced him eye to eye. I do love the way you think. With you ruling Kadir and me as your counterpart, the entire core will be ours to do with as we wish. She took his face and kissed him. The high priest pulled back and took her hands in his. You must go immediately and find Tyrus double. If that girl still has a medallion and returns to her room to rest, you must remove it from her before she sleeps. If she takes it off inside the chamber, the medallion will vanish from her body, and we will never even know if she had it on. How would she even know to take it off inside the chamber? Mara asked. Let's not forget who may be waiting for her inside. If Kale's grandfather is there and he were to convince her to take the medallion off and give it willingly to him, the master medallion will belong to him and he will gain the upper hand. We must find that girl while she is still awake and get that medallion. A cruel smile lit up Mara's face. But if I remove the medallion, that will leave her soul trapped in the chamber. She will appear as dead, without any blood on our hands, and we can prepare for the funeral. The high priest nodded. Go and find her. We don't have time to waste. I will go clean up as best as I can. Mara kissed him one last time and ascended the stairs. The high priest watched her leave, then picked up the torch and turned toward Kate's hiding place behind the two boulders. Kate stepped away to avoid the approaching light, but one of her shoelaces was held fast under her other sneaker. Clutching desperately at the rock, she fell out into the light of his torch. Kate caught only a glimpse of the astonished face of the high priest before she felt a dull thump on the side of her head and everything went black. <laughs>